0: Chapter 8. Shadow Warriors The effort of producing sounds twisted the Shadow Warriors' already striking face. Green skin, scarlet lips, white striped cheeks, etc., into dreadful contorted shapes. Go 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 he gurgled. Kafka! Cough, he coughed.
1: Sorry to interrupt so early on in this chapter, but like what is happening here with the ga ga, 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 ga and the kaf kaf kafka? Does this guy
0: need a lozenge? It does sort of sound like that. If you have like a cough drop or something, we can throw it Mudra's <laughs> way. Um, First of all, welcome back, Miss Wheeler. I'm psyched to to have you again. Thanks. This um, is awesome. Yeah, but I, I like that you pulled this out because Gogol, 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 and Kafka, Kafka, Kafka. Those are like what I would consider Easter eggs. Those are actually the names of famous literary figures. Nikolai Gogol was a uh, was a Russian writer, and Franz Kafka was a bohemian writer from uh, the area of the Czech Republic. And Got they're it. both like super well-respected, especially in surrealist sorts of literature. If you've ever read anything like The Metamorphosis, where where the guy wakes up one day and he's a uh, cockroach. That's <laughs> Kafka. It's a really famous story. Yep. To me, this is Rushdie sort of shouting out a couple of his heroes.
1: Okay, so it's sort of like a literary illusion masquerading as onomatopoeia. It's been
0: a while since I've heard onomatopoeia. What does that mean again?
1: Onomatopoeia is when... A sound is named. So, like an example of that would be bonk or zap.
0: Yeah, or gogol. <laughs>
1: right, exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, so, let's get back into it. Eh? What's that? What's the fellow saying? demanded Prince Bolo loudly. Can't make out a single word. What a poser, I swear, Blabbermouth hissed at Haroon. Our Bolo talking so big and rude because he thinks it'll stop us from noticing that he's scared out of his pants. Haroon wondered why Blabbermouth remained in Prince Bolo's service when she had such a low opinion of the gentleman, but he kept his mouth shut partly because he didn't want her to say something cutting and scornful to him. Partly because he had started to like her a good deal, which made any opinion of hers okay with him, but mostly because there was a giant shadow with a huge sword looming over them and a warrior grunting and spitting at them from a few feet away, and in short, this was no time for chit-chat. If, as it is said, people in the land of Chup hardly talk at all these days because of the cult master's decrees, then it's not surprising that this warrior has temporarily lost control of his voice. Rashid Khalifa was explaining to Prince Bolo, who was unimpressed. It's too bad, he said. Really, why people can't speak properly, it beats me. The shadow warrior... Ignoring the prince, made further rapid hand gestures at Rashid, and managed to croak out a few words. "Murder," it said. "Spakabi New Year," so it's murder. He plans," cried Bolo, putting his hand upon the hilt of his sword. "Well, he won't have it all his own way. I promise him that." Bolo said. General Katab, dash it all! Will you be quiet? Spots and fogs. This warrior is trying to tell us something. The Shadow Warrior's hand movements became agitated and a little desperate. He twiddled his fingers into different positions, held his hands at different angles, pointed at different parts of his body, and repeated, hoarsely, "'Murder! Murder! spakabi New Year!' Rashid Khalifa smacked his forehead. "'I've got it!' he exclaimed. "'What a fool I am! He's been talking to us fluently all the time!' "'Don't be ridiculous,' Prince Bolo put in. "'You call those grunts fluency?' It's the hand movements, Rashid answered, showing considerable restraint at Bolo's burblings. He's been using the language of gesture. As for what he said, it wasn't murder, but mudra. That's his name. He's been trying to introduce himself. Mudra, speak Abhinaya. That's what he's been saying. Abhinaya is the name of the most ancient gesture language of all, which it just so happens I know. Mudra in his shadow instantly began nodding furiously. Now the shadow sheathed its sword too and began to use gesture language as rapidly as Mudra himself, so that Rashid was obliged to plead, Hang on. One at a time, please. And slowly. I haven't done this for a long time, and you're going too fast for me.
1: Okay, one more question. What, what is Abinaya? And is, is this like a real thing?
0: That's a really good question. Last chapter, when we first met this character who's fighting with his shadow. Shadow guy? Yeah, I had mentioned that that whole scene was gonna foreshadow something. This is what it was foreshadowing. This guy's mode of communication is this gesture language called Abenaya. Every movement that he makes is a form of communication. And it is a real thing, but it's more of a dance. It's not really considered a type of communication almost more of an entertainment form. So
1: maybe like at the uh, faculty talent show we might see you doing a little Abhinaya.
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe come to the faculty talent show and <laughs> and I might, you know...
1: I'm going to be in the front row. Yeah,
0: there you go. After a few moments of listening to the hands of Mudra and his shadow, Rashid turned to General Katab and Prince Bolo with a smile. Nothing to worry about, he said. Mudra is a friend. Also, this is a lucky meeting, for we have here none other than the champion warrior of Chup, considered by most Chapwalas to be second in authority only to cultmaster Khatam Shud himself. If he's Katam Shud's number two man, Prince Bolo exclaimed, then we really are in luck. Let's seize him and put him in chains until the cultmaster we'll only release him if we get Batcheat back safe and sound. And how do you propose to capture him? General Katab? mildly asked. I do not think he wishes to be captured, you know. Harumph! Please listen, Rashid urged. Mudra is no longer an ally of the cultmaster's, he has become disgusted with the growing cruelty and fanaticism of the cult of the tongueless ice idol Bezabon and has broken off relations with Khattam Shud. He came here to this twilight wilderness to think out what he should do next. If you wish, I can interpret his abhanaya for you. General Katab nodded, and Mudra began to speak. Harun noticed that the language of gesture involved more than just hands. The position of the feet was important, too, and eye movements as well. In addition, Mudra possessed a phenomenal degree of control over each and every muscle in his green-painted face. He could make bits of his face twitch and ripple in the most remarkable way. And this, too, was a part of his speaking, his abhanaya. Don't think all Chapwalas follow Katam Shud or worship his Bezebon. Mudra said in his silent, dancing way, and Rashid translated his words into ordinary speech. Mostly they are simply terrified of the cult master's great powers of sorcery. But if he were defeated, most people in Chup would turn to me. And though my shadow and I are warriors, we are both in favor of peace.
1: So Mr. Doyle here, um, when Madra is speaking through his gesture language, he says, don't think El Chibwal has followed Shud or worship his Bezabon. And he goes on to say, most people in Chup would turn to me. And though my shadow and I are warriors, we are both in favor of peace. So what is he saying here?
0: I think that he's making an important point there that even though people might be part of the same group, they might share the same culture, they might look alike, that doesn't mean that they always share the exact same viewpoints. Okay. I'm wondering if there are lots of other chapwalas who feel similarly to Mudra, or if he is more of an exception to the rule. But the other people in the Chupwala culture, we have some people that are like they're so such fanatics of Katamsha that they're sewing their mouths shut. And it really seems like Rushdie is making a statement that in any sort of group, there will be people who have values that are probably much closer to yours and mine than, than we might think.
1: Give, give me an example.
0: Okay, I am thinking about a couple people that I know from around here that actually don't like the New England Patriots. So, oh my God. Yeah, right? So they're, they're rare, but they <laughs> exist.
1: Okay, so just because you live in New England, you don't have to be a Pats fan?
0: You're not obligated to like the teams of the Area in which you live. Okay, and we right? can
1: still be friends with those people.
0: Yeah, yeah, we can okay. be nice to them. We okay. can get along with them.
1: Okay, alright. Weird, right? Alright, I get
0: it. Alright, let's go. Now it was the Shadows' turn to speak. You must understand that in the land of Chup, Shadows are considered the equals of the people to whom they are joined, it began, with Rashid translating again. Chupwalas live in the dark, you know. And in the dark, a shadow doesn't have to be one single shape all the time. Some shadows, such as my good self, learn how to change ourselves, simply by wishing to do so. Imagine the advantages. If a shadow doesn't care for the clothes sense or hairstyle of the person to whom it's attached, it can simply choose a style for itself. A chapwala's shadow can be graceful as a dancer, even if its owner is clumsy as an oaf. You comprehend? What's more, in the land of Chup, A shadow very often has a stronger personality than the person or self or substance to whom or to which it is joined. So often the shadow leads, and it is the person or self or substance that follows. And of course, there can be quarrels between the shadow and the substance or self or person. They can pull in opposite directions. How often have I witnessed that? But just as often there is a true partnership and mutual respect. So peace with the Chapwalas means peace with their shadows too and among the shadows also cultmaster Shud has made terrible trouble. Mudra the Shadow Warrior resumed the narrative. Quicker and quicker, moved his hands, and his facial muscles rippled and twitched in a most excited way, and his legs danced nimbly and fast. Rashid had to work very hard to keep up with him. Katam Shud's black magic had had fearsome results, Mudra revealed. He has plunged so deeply into the dark art of sorcery that he has become shadowy himself, changeable, dark, more like a shadow than a person. And as he has become more shadowy, so his shadow has become to be more like a person, and the point has come at which it's no longer possible to tell which is Katam Shud's shadow and which is his substantial self, because he has done what no other Chapwala has ever dreamt of, that is, he has separated himself from his shadow, he goes about in the darkness entirely shadowless. And his shadow goes wherever it wishes. The cult master Katam Shud can be in two places at once.
1: Okay, so is this different from Mudra?
0: That Katam Shud can actually separate himself from his shadow?
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's making him sound a little bit imbalanced, right? Didn't we just learn that? You want the two entities working together?
0: Yeah, I think back to the observations that Harun made last chapter, where he saw Mudra fighting with himself, and he took note of how beautiful of a dance it was. And we see that Mudra and his shadow both have their own perspectives, their own viewpoints, but they work together. And the fact that they're connected to each other, I think, allows them to uh, to balance each other out. The fact that Katam Shud is actually separated from his shadow, you said imbalanced, I think that that's a perfect word for it. Like, this is our big villain. And the fact that he is someone that is out of balance in a world where there's such a need for balance. Yeah is uh, significant
1: right and it's going against that repetition you know we had talked about the idea of the light versus the dark and the yin and the yang so this is sort of um directly opposed to that yes
0: absolutely wheels you are crushing it thank you (laughs) all right so let's get going at this point blabbermouth who had been gazing at the shadow warrior with something very like adoration or devotion burst out but that's the worst news in the world It was going to be almost impossible to defeat him once, and now you tell us we'll have to beat him twice? Precisely so, said the grim gestures of Mudra's shadow. Furthermore, this new doubled katamshud, this man-shadow and shadow-man, has had a very harmful effect on the friendships between chapualas and their shadows. Now many shadows are resentful of being joined to chapualas at the feet, and there are many quarrels. It is a sad time, Mudra's gestures concluded. When a Chapwala cannot even trust his own shadow. A silence fell, as General Katab and Prince Bolo mulled over everything that Mudra and his shadow had said. Then Prince Bolo burst out, Why should we believe this creature? Hasn't he admitted he's a traitor to his own leader? Must we do business with traitors now? How do we know this isn't more of his treason, some deep-laid plan, some sort of trap?
1: This guy is a clown! Yes,
0: he is. That's and does his name even? I was make just sound like gonna Ka- say that
1: yeah. Prince Bolo, yeah, Prince Bozo,
0: Bolo, Bolo the clown. <laughs> now, General Katab, as Harun had observed, was as a rule the mildest of men who liked nothing so much as a good argument. But on this occasion, he went pink in the face and seemed to swell up slightly. Hang it all, your highness, he finally said. I am in command here. Hold your tongue, or you'll be on your way back to Gup City, and someone else will have to rescue your bat-cheat on your behalf. And you wouldn't like that, I'd guess. Spots and fogs, you wouldn't. Blabbermouth looked delighted at this reprimand. Bolo looked murderous, but held his tongue which was just as well because Mudra's shadow had responded to Bolo's outburst by going into a positive frenzy of changes, growing enormous, scratching itself all over, turning into the silhouette of a flame-breathing dragon, and then into other creatures, a griffin, a basilisk, a manticore, a troll. And while the shadow behaved in this agitated fashion, Mudra himself retreated a few steps, leant on a tree stump and pretended to have grown very bored indeed, examining his fingernails, yawning, twiddling his thumbs... This warrior and his shadow are a fine team, Harun thought. They put on opposite acts, so nobody knows what they really feel, which may, of course, be a third thing completely. General Katab approached Mudra with great, even exaggerated respect. Blow it all, Mudra. Will you help us? It isn't going to be easy in the darkness of Chup. We could do with a fellow like you, mighty warrior and all that. What do you say? Prince Bolo sulked at the edge of the clearing while Mudra paced and thought. Then he began to gesture once again. Rashid translated his words. Yes, I will help, the Shadow Warrior said, for the Cultmaster must surely be defeated. But there is a decision you must make. I bet I know what it is, Blabbermouth hissed at Harun. It's the same one that should have been made before we even set out. What do we say first, Batcheed or the ocean? By the way, she added, blushing slightly, isn't he something? Isn't he wicked, awesome, sharp? Mudra, I mean. I know who you mean, said Haroon, with a pang of what might have been jealousy. He's okay, I suppose. Okay? hissed Blabbermouth. Only okay? How can you even say? But here she broke off because Mudra's words were being translated by Rashid. As I told you, there are now two Shuds. One of them, at this very moment, has Princess Batcheek captive in the Citadel of Chup and is planning to sew up her lips on the Feast of Bezabon. The other, as you should know, is in the old zone, where he is plotting the ruination of the ocean of the streams of story. An immense stubbornness came over Prince Bolo of Gup. Say what you will, General, he cried, but a person must come before an ocean, no matter how great the peril to both. It must be Batcheet first, Batcheet, my love, my only girl. Her cherry lips must be saved from the cultmaster's needle, and without further delay... What are you people? Have you not blood in your veins? General, and you too, Sir Mudra. Are you men or 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 shadows? There's no need to insult shadows any further, Mudra's shadow gestured with quiet dignity. Bolo ignored it. Very well, General Katab agreed. Rot it all, very well. But we must send someone to investigate the old zone situation. But whom? Now, let me see. Harumph! It was at this instant that Harun cleared his throat. "'I'll go,' he volunteered. All eyes turned to stare at him as he stood there in his red knight shirt with the purple patches, feeling fairly ridiculous. "Hm? What's that you say?' Prince Bolo irritably demanded. "'Good question,' Harun thought. "'I must be a very great fool.' But what he said aloud was this. "'Well, sir, it's like this. All my life I've heard about the wonderful sea of stories, and water genies, and everything.' But I started believing only when I saw If in my bathroom the other night. And now that I've actually come to Kahani and seen with my own eyes how beautiful the ocean is, with its story streams and colors whose names I don't even know, and its floating gardeners and plenty moth fishes and all, well, turns out I may be too late, because the whole ocean's going to be dead any minute if we don't do something. And it turns out that I don't like the idea of that, sir, not one bit, I don't like the idea that all the good stories in the world will go wrong forever and ever or just die. As I say, I only just started believing in the ocean, but maybe it isn't too late for me to do my bit. There, he thought, you've really done it now, made yourself look like a complete idiot. But Blabbermouth was looking at him in much the same way as she'd been staring at Mudra for some time, and that was pleasant, couldn't be denied. And then he caught sight of his father's expression, and, oh no, he thought, I know exactly what he's going to say. There's more to you, young Harun Khalifa, than meets the blinking eye, said Rashid. Forget it, mumbled Harun furiously. Forget I even spoke.
1: Okay, this blinking eye quote, Miss Archibald actually mentioned that one to me, and it seems like maybe it's come up before?
0: Yeah, this idea has come up a bunch of times, and, um, and... I love that it comes right after Harun takes a major risk. He puts himself out there. We've talked a lot about how Harun has grown as a character, and we're seeing here evidence that he is continuing to grow and continuing to push himself to take on more of like a, a leadership role. So there you go. Prince Bolo strode over and thumped Harun on the back, leaving him winded. Out of the question, Bolo was shouting. Forget you spoke. Young man, it will never be forgotten. General, I ask you... "'Is this not the perfect fellow for the job? "'For he is, like me, a slave to love.' "'Here Harun avoided looking at Blabbermouth and blushed. "'Yes, indeed,' Prince Bolo continued, striding about "'and waving his arms in a dashing and somewhat foolish way. "'Just as my great passion, my amour, leads me to bat-cheat, "'always toward bat-cheat, "'so this boy's destiny is to rescue what he loves, "'that is, the ocean of stories.' Very well, General Katab gave in. Young Master Haroon, you will be our spy. Drat it all. You deserve it. Take your pick of companions and be gone. His voice sounded gruff, as if he were hiding his worries beneath a facade of sternness. That's finished it, Haroon thought. Too late to back out now. Keep a sharp lookout. Skulk in the shadows. See without being seen, cried Bolo dramatically. In a way, you'll be a shadow warrior too. To reach the old zone of Kahani, it was necessary to travel south through the twilight strip, hugging the shoreline of the land of Chup, until that dark and silent continent was left behind, and the southern polar ocean of Kahani stretched in every direction. Harun and If, the water genie, set off on this route within an hour of Harun's volunteering. Their chosen companions were the Plenymaw fishes, Goopy and Baga, who bubbled along in their wake, and the gnarled old floating gardener Mali, with his lilac lips and hat of roots. Mali walked on the water at their side. Harun had wanted to take Blabbermouth, but a shyness overcame him, and besides, she seemed to want to stay with Mudra, the shadow warrior. And Rashid had been needed to translate Mudra's gesture language to the general and the prince. After several hours of high-speed travel through the twilight strip, they found themselves in the southern polar ocean. Here the waters had lost even more of their coloring, and the water temperature had dropped even lower. We're going the right way, we can tell. Before it was filthy, now it's hell, said Goopy and Baga, coughing and spluttering. Molly loped along over the water's surface without any sign of discomfort. If that water is so badly poisoned, doesn't it hurt your feet? Harun asked him. Mali shook his head. Take more than that. A little poison? Bah. little acid? Bah. A gardener's a tough old bird. It won't stop me. Then to Haroon's surprise, he burst into a little, rough-voiced song. You can stop a check. You can stop a leak or three. You can stop traffic, but you can't stop me. What we are here to stop, Haroon reminded him, adopting what he hoped was an authoritative leader-like tone of voice, is the work of the cultmaster, Katam Shud. If it's true that there is a wellspring or source of stories near the South Pole, suggested If, then that's where Katam Shud will be. You can be sure of it. Very well then, Harun agreed, to the South Pole. The first disaster struck soon afterwards. Goopy and Baga, uttering piteous, whimpering noises, confessed that they couldn't go any further. Never thought it'd be so bad. We have failed you. We feel sad. I feel terrible. She feels worse. We can hardly speak in verse." The waters of the ocean were growing thicker by the mile, thicker and colder. Many of the streams of story were full of a dark, slow-moving substance that looked like molasses. Whatever is doing this can't be very far away, Harun thought. To the Plenymaw fishes, he said sadly, Stay here and keep watch. We'll go on without you. Of course, even if there is danger, they won't be able to warn us, Harun realized, but the Plenymaw fishes were already so miserable that he kept this thought to himself. The light was so poor now. They were at the very edge of the twilight strip, very near the hemisphere of perpetual darkness. They traveled on toward the pole, and when Harun saw a forest standing up from the ocean, its tall growths waving in a light breeze, the absence of light added to the mystification. Land? Harun asked. Surely there's not meant to be any land here. Neglected waters is what it is, said Mali in disgust. Overgrown. Gone to weed. Run down. Nobody to keep the place in trim. It's a disgrace. Give me a year and the whole place would look like new. It was quite a speech for the floating gardener. He was plainly upset. We haven't got a year, Harun said, and I don't want to fly over it. Too easy to spot, and we couldn't take you with us anyway. Don't you go worrying about me, said Molly. And don't be thinking about flying either. I'll clear away. And with that, he put on a great burst of speed and disappeared into the floating jungle. A few moments later, Harun saw huge clumps of vegetation flying into the air as Mali got to work. The creatures who lived in this weed jungle rushed out in alarm. Giant albino moths, large gray birds that were all bone and no meat, long whitish worms with heads like shovel blades. Even the wildlife is old here, Harun thought. Will there be dinosaurs further in? Well, not dinosaurs exactly, but the water-dwelling ones? That's right, ichthyosaurs? The idea of seeing an ichthyosaur's head poking out of the water was both scary and exciting. Anyhow, they are vegetarians. Were vegetarians, he comforted himself. At least, I think so. Molly strode back across the water to give a progress report. Bit of weeding, bit of pest control. Have a channel ready in no time. And back in he went.
1: It sounds like we're uh, starting to lose some of our party here.
0: Yeah, yeah. And remember last chapter, we were just saying how exciting it was that they were all coming together. Now they're like splintering off. This is the sort of thing that happens in Hero's Journeys, isn't it?
1: I think you're right.
0: Yeah. When the channel was clear, Harun directed but the Hoopo to enter. Mali was nowhere to be seen. Where have you got to? Harun called. This is no time for hide and seek. But there was no reply. It was a narrow channel with roots and weeds still floating on the surface, and they were deep inside the heart of the weed jungle when the second catastrophe occurred. Haroon heard a faint hissing sound, and an instant later saw something enormous being thrown in their direction, something that looked like a colossal net, a net that had been spun out of the darkness itself. It fell over them and held them tight. "'It is a web of night,' said But the Hoopoe usefully, a legendary chapwala weapon, Struggle is useless. The more you fight, the harder it grips. Our goose, I regret to inform, is cooked. Haroon heard noises outside the web of night. Hisses, little satisfied chuckles. And there were eyes, too. Eyes staring through the net. Eyes like mudras with blacks instead of whites. But these eyes were not friendly in the least. And where was Mali? So we're prisoners already, Haroon fumed. Some hero I turned out to be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: that brings us to the end of Chapter 8, and I'd like to just quickly thank Miss Wheeler for coming by. She had to step out, but I'm going to hit you with our takeaways. Takeaway number one is this whole idea that even people who share similarities, people who come from the same culture, they can have disagreements. Not everybody who looks alike, not everybody who, who is from the same region shares the same values. We're seeing here Mudra, this Chapwala soldier, stands in opposition to katam shud and i think that that's an important idea to take note of as we move forward takeaway number two is that we see our boy harun is still growing we've pointed out a couple different times over the course of the novel where harun has gone from the child and has taken on more of a uh, role of responsibility he still wants to be the one who saves the day he wants to be the one who rescues his father's ability to tell stories and here He is volunteering to splinter off from the group and take his own little force with him to go and save the sea of stories. He's putting himself at risk here, and we will see how it all plays out for him as we move forward. Takeaway number three is the idea that this large group of characters who just came together to set out on their journey has already started to splinter and break apart. This is a a normal part of a hero's journey where all the characters that you meet end up being picked off sort of one at, one at a time. And here we see the Plenty moth fish are too sick to go on. We see Mali has to stick behind and, and start weeding through the poisonous, uh, the poisonous parts of the Sea of Stories. And we see that Rashid and the other heroes have separated from Harun so that they can go and rescue Batcheat. So what started as a large group of characters has now been reduced greatly and it's a smaller group now and Harun himself is in some real trouble. And so that means that the stakes are high. It means that that there's some drama we don't know what is gonna happen next and hopefully our characters can pull through so we will see what happens next in chapter nine make sure you answer all of your questions and if you have any confusion regarding this chapter please make sure to ask me clarifying questions reach out to me via email um, and I will see you next chapter